KPI Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about the Investigator's Toolbox. Many of the folks who listen to this program actually have already signed up and have joined this online community for investigators and the investigative community. It's a place to go for networking. It's a place to go for continuing education, uh, watching webinars, doing your continuing education credit. It's a place also to read up on uh, the latest trends in the industry, stay on top of all the news articles. It's actually supported by some really, really great businesses that support our industry. They're offering discounts and benefits actually for your membership. And then the, the OSINT catalog, we've got a huge OSINT catalog that you can make your own private library. You essentially pick and choose what you want to be in your library, um, however you do your research. Check it out today. It's uh, www.investigators-toolbox.com. Listeners of the show, if you use the code PIP, 201836, you'll save an extra 20%. Investigators-toolbox.com. Go check it out today. Are you overwhelmed with your current case load? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Today, we're talking about the investigation game. Our guest is Leah Wheatholter of Workman Forensics. Leah also has a great podcast called The Investigation Game. Matt and Leah talk about Leah's experience being a certified fraud examiner and how she started her business. The investigation game is a challenge game to investigative professionals. So let's drop in on these two and see what this game is all about. Please welcome Leah Wheatholter and our host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. And today we are leaning in on another podcast host, a podcast I really, really enjoy. I'm welcoming my good friend, Leah Wheatholder. Leah, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So your uh, podcast is The Investigation Game, right? Yes. Okay. How long have you been podcasting for? I think we'll hit two years in a couple months. That is amazing. I think we'll have 50 episodes by the second episode of this year or something. Like 50 full-length episodes. Nice, nice. How often do you put out content? Every other week. We took a break, you know, between Christmas and like the next one will be February 1st-ish. Yeah, I like that episode before Christmas about the Christmas scams. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I love having my team on there and just... They all just have really fun personalities and they love what we do like so much. So it's fun to just chat about those things. Yeah. And I got to say, I was very impressed that you had on like three people you had never talked to before and kind of interviewed them on the fly on a prior episode. (laughs) I know. right? That was, that was just kind of on a whim. We didn't really take a break between 2019 and 2020 episodes. And so by the time just we got to the end of 2020 I was like I am so tired and um I thought this will liven things up and anyway I thought it turned out well I didn't like just go oh they have CFE in the back in the at the end of their names like I had kind of followed them on social for a while but yeah I had never met them until we were recording yeah yeah it's uh it it was cool it was very very cool I enjoyed it a lot I was like oh something different little little challenge um, and I think we have to do that, right? As, as content providers, sometimes we need to challenge ourselves so we don't uh, uh, get lazy. You, know, you got to keep us honest, right? 
Right. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background. What what initially got you into doing this type of work and uh, what led you to start in your own business? Yeah. So when I was a kid, I really loved reading mystery books. And by the time I reached high school, I started looking at like, could I be an investigator for like for a career? Right. And so as a high schooler, I started looking at like, okay, I'll probably be an investigator for some government agency. So I started looking at FBI, CIA, NSA, anybody that I could think of, like the whole alphabet soup. And then I decided, you know, I'm I'm going to, like, I'm going to join the FBI. So I start like researching what would it require. So really started targeting like my even college career after, you know, where does the FBI hire and so forth. And actually one of my guests that I had on the show in 2018, I guess, uh, no, 2019, 2019, um, he had actually, he had dated my aunt and he was an FBI agent. So oh, I didn't wow. remember him. <laughs> I was like, okay, tell me how I do this, right, you know? Right. And I remember that on the job postings that I would see, it would say you had to have great interpersonal communication. And I told my mom, I was like, I'm never going to be an FBI agent <laughs> now. I really didn't enjoy talking to people. I liked reading and right. math and all this stuff. So anyway, my mom had a store at the time. And so she said, well, I guess instead of just tutoring people, it was a teacher supply and tutoring store. She, she said, instead of just tutoring students, uh, why don't you work the store some too? And so anyway, even through college, I just did a bunch of like customer service type jobs because I was so focused on becoming an FBI agent. Right. And when I was in college, I had the opportunity to apply for the honors internship program. I have no idea if it still exists. I have people ask me this all the time. Yeah. I have no idea. This was a long time ago. Right. Um, but it was where the FBI selected one student from each field office to go to DC or Quantico or West Virginia to the Colonel Sieges, um, where like the fingerprinting and stuff like that happens. Okay. So I was selected for that program and I ended up in West Virginia working at Sieges, which is considered one of the headquarters. And just had a great time. And um, I worked on a variety of projects and um, my mentor at the Bureau knew that I was like a diehard, not everyone who was in the program was like, yes, I'm going to work for the FBI. But I was out of our little group of 13 in West Virginia. And so I got to kind of go to some hearings and some interviews and stuff with an agent that was local there. And I, I just had a really cool time. Okay. And the FBI at the time was running this or had this program going on that just started the year I was on or that summer that I was on the East coast. And they said, you can check back with your local field office, which for me, that's Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can check back with your field office because we have internship opportunities, student trainee is what they called it opportunities. And some, if they have enough money, they can actually pay you. And I had to work all through college. So, um, I was coming back. I went to Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa. And so I came back. I, you know, asked the field office. They said, yeah, we have money. Come on. So since I, at this point, was an accounting major, I was assigned to the Tulsa resident agency. At the time, it had about 40 people in it, I think. Okay. And uh, there was a forensic accountant. And I actually had her on the fifth episode of my podcast, Janetta. Right. She is incredible. We are still friends. It's It's great. just a couple weeks ago. And um, so I was her intern. Uh, So I interned under a forensic accountant. And I basically for the first year just did data entry of bank statements, um, some search warrants, things like that. And uh, after doing that for two years, I started looking at, okay, because that's as long, 
that was the length of the appointment. You, you could only have this. You can only do two years. years. Right. Gotcha. I understand. So I started, um, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to become an agent. So I started that process and that wasn't really working out for me. I, I, I needed some more like life experience. Sure. So I had just turned 23 by the time all this was happening. And anyway, so I, looked around the bureau to do lots of things, including going to Iraq at the time, Mexico City. I looked at all, right. all kinds of things. All right. Decided to leave the bureau and to get some real accounting experience. So I worked for a public accounting firm for two and a half years. But while I was there, they started getting forensic accounting cases in the private sector. And I remember I had been there about three months. And I guess that's when kind of a small project came in and they said, oh, you worked for the FBI. So-and-so has done some expert testimony. Why don't you help them out? Right. So I start looking at it and then that's when the idea hit me like, oh, maybe, maybe people would pay for this. The light bulb went off. Nice. Do what? The light bulb went off. Yeah. And so I went to the managing partner at the time and said, I think there is a revenue opportunity here. Right. And so we started talking. Anyway, we teamed up with another CFE um, at about the one year mark when I had been working there about a year and I was prepping tax returns and then I'd work on these little cases, but we partnered with a local CFE uh, who just worked for himself and he needed some extra support. And so we ended up working on some really large tribal cases and a really big, um, like a $3.5 million bank embezzlement that was done by a loan officer. Right. So after doing that, um, I was still prepping tax returns and I was working fraud investigations right. and, you know, tax returns is really nice. Cause you know, your busy season is from this date to this date Correct. twice a year. Right, right. But when you do what, what you do and what I do, we don't know when no they come in yeah. and we have no control over the deadlines. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just working crazy hours. Right. And I just remember getting to the point where I thought, I don't think this is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, um, is that when you took up bike riding? <laughs> no, no. I didn't okay. start taking up bike riding to like two years ago. Oh okay. my gosh. Um, but anyway, so I ended up, uh, I just went in and said, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> That's what they expected out of millennial too. Right. Like, I totally, exactly. Right. Someone, someone get, took a 20 out of their pocket and gave it to the other guy, right? You win, <laughs> you win the bet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think this is it. So I wrapped up the cases we had in house and I left and I really started looking for like corporate accounting jobs. And I remember this headhunter asked me, you know, Leo, what is your dream job? And I just stared at him and I, and I mean, I was grumpy about like looking at corporate accounting jobs and I I just looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? I had my dream job at 20 years old. Um, So I don't know. And then he said, well, if your CFE is like the CPA, you know, credentials after your name, could you just start your own business? And my mom said, and I told my mom about it and she said, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I'm like, well, I go get a corporate accounting job. So um, that's when I started the idea of Workman Forensics. And uh, I had no clients, I had no connections um, and really had to just bootstrap it. And, uh, I shared a house with three other girls at the time. And so I thought this is the cheapest I'm ever going to live. So I'm sure I can do enough odd jobs to like, make sure I don't starve. See, that's fantastic. Right. And and that's the same thing, right? So you go with, with that, that idea that I want to try and do it. And you, you, 
take a look at your liabilities because I had the same thing, right? Yeah. Okay, what's my current living situation <laughs> like? Like, yeah, how much money is this going to potentially cost me? How much disaster could I be in if it just completely the wheels fall off? And you go and you make that decision. For me, I was like thirty three at the time. Um, I, I wasn't white. Was not married yet. I was in the process of getting married, um, and yeah, you know, we lived in a small, small place which my wife, you know, owned. So you know, she was my sugar mama for a bit uh, while I got my feet off the ground. I borrowed thirty five thousand dollars to start my business, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you look at that, you know, and I, I think folks that do what I do and do what you do, we have that passion to really do our own thing. I think most people gravitate towards owning their own business, and like I'm never going back ever uh i mean I, i'm i'll start more businesses before i go work for somebody else and when i have you know which is which is crazy yeah. uh that's a great story i um thank you yeah i i love that you know and it, and it's that fear of failure i think holds people back for so long they just um you know like what you know it's not going to work out or whatever it's like so what right you're living with with a house full of gals and what's the big deal right it doesn't work out and you'll figure something else out yeah that's amazing right um, right. So, so let's fast forward then. So, you're you, how long have you been in business? Ten years. Ten years now. Great. That's awesome. Years. And uh, obviously, you have clients. <laughs> Probably quite I do. a few. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do. That's great. You have a staff um, uh, that that works with you. I do. Um, I have. There's five of us. Okay. Um, and then I've got. Uh, we've got a new guy on the way. God, that sounds, that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm having a child or something. No, um, but we have a new guy starting next week. Great. And um, so, cause we've got some good projects in right. the works and we just need some extra hands around here. But um, yeah, I've, I've had as many as 11 employees okay. and that's where I tapped out. And I said, no, 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 let's back that up. So there's just a really good core group of the five of us. Uh, and I think 2020 just even made that a more solid more team yeah. where we can jump on. I, I do love this. We had a call on a case kind of mid last year and um, when we were all working from home and uh, it was a phone call. So it wasn't even a video call sure. and he was asking us questions and each of us would just answer the part that kind of worked for us. And it wasn't, oh, Megan, could you answer this? No, like right. Megan just kind of knew. And so it's, that's been really, like, that's really rewarding. It's going to make you proud. Yeah. It's like my team, team. Yeah. So, you know, I hadn't quite had 11 uh, people working for me, but I I had grown my business to some point. And then I, I did the same thing. I kind of rolled back a little bit. And if you talk to Jim Nanos, he'll tell you the same thing. He had a bigger business at one point and, and turned it, uh, turned it back a little. Um, Are you able to use uh, 1099 contractors uh, doing the work that you do or not really? You know, I actually tried to do that whenever I first got started mm-hmm. and um, the unemployment commission did not like that very much. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. You work more than 30 hours a week. It's a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. So there were just some, and, yeah. um, you know, and we had like, fall, I mean, I had an attorney help me set it all up so sure. that we were following all the rules. But anyway, whenever that happened, I just decided like, unless the person is established as a business has their own LLC and other right. clients. I don't contract any work out yeah. anymore. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. And you know, you, you almost, I feel like if you're doing your type of work, you really need a hundred percent focus on that particular project too. Probably makes more sense just to, you know, have your in-house people sign them to it and dig in and do what you need to do. And, and don't worry about the distraction of the other deadline from the other case for the other client, 
yeah, I can see how that would make sense. Absolutely. Um, and over the last um, few years, I think it's probably been about four years now, maybe five, I started looking at, um, I had a lot of help like on the data entry side of things, because that's, you know, what I was super familiar with, right. but I was still kind of figuring out, you know, a process for analysis and creating consistent work products and things sure. like that. And um, so I, I had an analyst at the time who said, we need to mind map you, Leah. And so that, because I kept trying to teach people how to do what I was doing right. and it just wasn't, it just wasn't working. And I'm not really the teacher type anyway. Right. And so anyway, we just started looking at it. Once we started I saying, what if we made this a manufacturing process and everyone has their, because I do like to focus on people's strengths because I think sure. we just enjoy our work if we're doing something we like. Totally makes sense. Yep. So created kind of this process and then started looking for people. Oh, you have this strength. Let's put plug you in this part of the process, but not catering it just to that person. Right. You know, it needs to be able to duplicate. But if we find someone else who's also gifted at that, then we put them in that spot too. Right. So now it like instead of one person working an entire case, which is what I had been used to, especially as a, even as a tax preparer, um, you know, like I would kind of prepare everything and I'd just tell somebody, Hey, I need these documents. But instead it's this, everyone has their specific role right. in the process. And so they can, we can work on a lot of cases at one time. And so that's why for me too, you know, contracting out some of this work is is difficult right. if you don't know our process yeah. because so, we have this process that we've now called the data sleuth process. Right. So I got, a, I got another question then. Has yeah. that ever become an issue when it comes to testifying in court? You know, like who actually gets called up to testify or, or do you speak as the owner of the company and basically you're, you're reporting on the findings of your company as opposed to the person who's actually doing the research? Has that ever been an issue before or no? No, it's never an issue um, because the even though it's this process and I don't necessarily have to look at every single number, there's so many checks and balances in right. this process right. that I create the, you know, I am part of that planning at the beginning yeah. because I am going to be responsible for testifying to this. I'm part of the review process sure. and then I am issuing the report at the end, so. I, I would think like having a strong methodology is probably the way to get around that. Right. So yeah, this, yeah, this is our process this is how we do it. Yes. It wasn't me actually doing it, but they followed the, the procedure, you know, that, that's right. what our policy is on doing this stuff. I would think that would be the way around it. And it sounds like that's, that's what it is. That's, uh, that's awesome. And, and having that, this documented process and that we treat every case using every, the inputs of the case are different, but the process that we use is the same. Right. And, I think it has reduced my risk because I actually had a case about midway through like kind of four or five years into workman and we had performed a calculation, somebody else, another expert performed the calculation on the same team. Mm -hmm. That expert had a lot more experience than me. So they wanted to use his number first. Right. He goes to the deposition. His work had been prepared by an analyst who just did the work, was a good number cruncher, did the work, gave it to the expert. The expert goes to testify in the deposition. There is a huge error, error that is uncovered. <laughs> Hope you had insurance. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Well, so that really, at the time I was doing hundred percent of the work yeah. and other than like review, cause I have always, especially being in public accounting, there has to be this review step. So that's always been incorporated, Sure. but 
you know, that made me kind of take a step back and say, okay, I don't want just an analyst who's good at crunching numbers. I want somebody that's following my process. Like, how do I know that these numbers are right when I'm done with it? Um, And how can we ensure that? And um, so that's why I think having this more of a manufacturing data sleuth process has reduced my risk of things like that. It's definitely sounds like it's trial and error (laughs) over the years. Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to jump out and take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your business. I want to talk about how the private investigator and the certified fraud examiner coexist and and why it's important for us to lean on one another and when it's important to actually tap into those those resources. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back. PI Perspectives. Are you using a case management system? The answer is no, you should really rethink that process, right? So as you guys know, Crosstracks has been an amazing sponsor of the show. They've just been uh, really supportive. As you guys also know, I didn't used to have a case management system. I was the, the investigator that was fighting them tooth and nail. I finally decided to give it a whirl. What a great decision, right? During the COVID shutdown, I was able to actually roll my whole business into it and get completely up and running. And um, my clients love it. I mean, just today, I got a, a phone call from a client of mine who just couldn't believe how easy it was to access everything and uh, how invoices were there. He actually asked me to go back and upload all my prior cases and put it into Crosstracks. I've been doing business with that firm for, I don't know, about eight years, so it's a lot of cases. Yeah, if you don't use a case management system, you should, right? You should check it out. Give Crosstracks a shot. Contact Brad or one of the teammates over there, and uh, they'll get you up and running with a trial and see if it's for you. If you have used Crosstracks and it's been a while and uh, you're not happy with the system that you're in, go check them out. They're doing a lot of really cool new things and uh, see if it's right for you. If you're unhappy with the system that you're in right now, contact them. You know, the ability for them to roll your system into their system is very easy. Again, you guys know they've been sponsoring this program and I can't say uh, enough good things about them, but uh, make your own decision, right? Give it a shot on your own and see if it's right for you. Gain greater insight into people, assets, businesses, and their interrelationships with IDI's next generation investigative platform, IDI Core. Through a massive data repository, advanced data fusion technology, and more intuitive UI, IDI Core uncovers the relevance of disparate data points, providing actionable intelligence to support your investigations. Register for a free trial at ididata.com slash PI Perspectives or call 844-778-1740, What do you do when you get calls for bug sweeps? Did you know usabugsweeps.com, the number one TSCM provider in the country, pays you a 20% commission for converted sales leads? Stop turning money away. usabugsweeps.com uses top-rated technology, and they cover all of the United States. So save time and make money today. Contact usabugsweeps.com and mention PIP20. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. 
You don't want to miss the NALI Virtual Conference on February 19th. It's conveniently scheduled from 10 a.m. until 5 p.m. and is packed with great speakers and sponsors. Time after time, NALI has provided top-rated content and some of the best networking available in the industry. So visit NALI.com for more information. And speaking of meetings, NCISS is offering a free town hall meeting on February 10th at 12 p.m. Central Time to all investigative and security professionals to update you on some legislative issues. If you're a PI or in the security field, you should attend. These issues will affect our industry and how we do business. You can get more information at NCISS.org. Okay, welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. I am here with uh, the, the Workman Forensics expert, uh, Leah Weedholder. Uh, Leah, how are you? Welcome back to the program. Thank you. All right, so before we took our break, we were talking about uh, how private investigators and certified fraud examiners can coexist. So what has been your experience in, in working with PIs and, and servicing, uh, I guess, their issues and, and that, that coexistence? How does that look to you? For me personally, I am both. Mm -hmm. I am a PI and I am a certified fraud examiner. And the reason that I chose that was that in the state of Oklahoma, if you're going to investigate fraud, you have to be a CPA, an, an attorney, or a private investigator. So for me, I always wanted to be an investigator. I didn't want to be a CPA. So <laughs> I'm a private investigator. There you go. Oh, awesome. And so where that has been helpful for us in our practice is that we can do so much of the research step as opposed to like, I'm not saying anything about CPAs, but CPAs don't necessarily think about databases that could be accessible to them. Yeah. And that's my experience yeah. in the CPA world. And so by being more in the PI world and using databases and those sorts of things, and then over the last few years, just really exploring more about OSINT, yeah. that's really helpful in our practice. Where we, I like to team up with PIs is really in the, because we're so focused on data, particularly like financial data, mm -hmm. We want to get the data, see what story is being told to us, but then sometimes we need additional context. And if we can't get that through OSINT, then we need support when it comes to interviews. Sure. So teaming up with private investigators that have really strong interview experience, um, interviewing skills, and then also for surveillance purposes as well. Yeah. I think those soft skills, the interviewing is so, so important. Um, I recall uh, you, you were talking on another podcast about a, a church and interviewing a pastor uh, and trying to, uh, I guess, get him to give you some some bank recs and, and some information. And uh, he wasn't forthright. But even getting your foot in the door to, act, to talk to him, there's a skill to that, right? And you need somebody who, who really understands kids' gloves and can lay the foundation of, of at least trying to get, you know, get your foot in the door to get that interview and, and get what you need to do. So it is really important. Yeah. I think folks that tend to like to crunch numbers may not have those soft skills. Very rare uh, to find somebody who does both. Um, and I think it's hilarious that I'm talking to somebody who, who says she was like an introvert and, uh, introvert and doesn't like to talk to people. And now look at you, you're like a podcast host and doing all this stuff. So I think that's pretty awesome too. <laughs> so. I was kicking and screaming. So yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> they told me to do that. You, you could have fooled me. I was like, oh, she doesn't like to talk. Well, <laughs> she has a pretty good, awesome the, show. <laughs> it's the entrepreneur in me, right? Like yeah. we just put on that hat because it's required. Yeah. I do enjoy talking to people, right. but. Um, probably more so now than ever. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think you brought up a good point though. Like having that, um, the balance of, of those soft skills and, and identifying who's strong on your team at what, and really playing up to those skills. Cause I, I can, you know, just think, saying, you know, think 
saying that and me thinking about it, my own staff, it's like, okay, I know that this person's good at that and that person's good at that. If I need this, I'm definitely going to lean on this person before that person. So that's another good way to be successful in your own business is just identifying the strengths of each uh, of your people and consider doing a, like a 360 review, uh, which is always a, a, a good thing um, where, where you're, you're really taking a look at your employees and, and having them take a look at you too, which is can be painful sometimes also <laughs> so, <I know>. <laughs> self-reflection. Um, but that, that's important too. And just being able to, uh, to identify. So what would you say uh, to the person who's like looking to become a CFE or looking to be an investigator? Like what is a good trade or, or a, uh, personality um, of somebody who succeeds in this type of stuff? I think tenacity. That's the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely tenacity. And I say this a lot whenever, especially when I've had to hire like a bunch of new staff at one time, I seem to say this over and over that we have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable right. that we can like maintain this, you know, if I'm comfortable in the uncomfortable that I am intelligent enough and have the skills that I need today to solve whatever problem I'm facing, then I can stay in that like critical thinking part of my brain. Right. But as soon as I think that this problem has beaten me, now I'm in fight or flight. I'm not going to come up with anything creative. Right. And so one of the things that, you know, I, I mean, we even have things here that reinforce what I'm about to say, but like things that we work into our days, but is that encouraging that everyone can be creative, that it's not just a fine arts and it's not just graphic design and like web designing people, but it's um, that's just a skill in every situation. And I think even more so in an investigation, when someone says, like in my pastor example, when somebody says, he says essentially, Oh yeah, I'll help you. And then he never does. Well, okay. Who else has access to this information? But if, all flustered i'm not going to be able to like think my way out of that yeah not only that if you if you continue to engage in him and push him like you're getting even further away from getting that right so if you have another no other solution and you're pressing and pressing and pressing probably not going to turn out the way you want it to turn out um i think it's really interesting that you're talking about um these different skills and, 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 and training and, and exercising those different skills, uh, which is something that you offer, right? This investigation game. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you yeah. have this product out there. Tell me a little bit about it and what it does. Yeah. So um, a really long time ago, I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if we could sit around and I, cause I was on the local chapter of our association of certified fraud examiners for about nine years right. and in charge of training. And I really, I mean, because I was new to the field, I really wanted people to tell me, this is how you work a fraud investigation. Like I needed some practical hands-on, this is how you do this. And I wasn't really finding it. And so me, I made sure I was in charge of training. So maybe I could find people that would help us do that. And I felt, and we had some amazing speakers that did kind of help me piece together those things. But I remember thinking, would there be a way to take real fraud investigations and like put it together in a murder mystery dinner, you know, like something that, um, and and I really wanted it because there's only been a total of maybe 20 months in my career that I did not have a team or like within the last 10 years. So I've had a team the entire time. So training my team on how to do these things has been really 
important to me the entire time. Sure. So I got a question. Is there yeah. a Colonel Mustard and uh, Professor Plum or, or <laughs> Miss Scarlet? And are they no. some of the characters no. or no? <laughs> it's no, tra- no, no? Trademark issues, right? You couldn't go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was like thinking to myself, I just didn't want to make anything that was cheesy right. either. You know, like <laughs> has to, I wanted it to be like a legit game so so folks that follow me on social media will understand that my six-year-old beat me a clue the other day and i I didn't i I couldn't i had to decide if i should be like embarrassed because i'm a pi or really proud of my daughter for figuring it out and uh the the jury's still out i'm not sure so i feel like you could just be proud of that (laughs) yeah i should be proud um, (laughs) i'm proud when my niece and nephew beat me at games yeah dang um, but that, it's it's good that, that you're doing stuff like this. It actually, it's really good. I think it's it's awesome. Yeah. So several years ago, um, my husband and I got into kind of some tabletop games, uh, card games, right. and we played one of those unlock escape games. And if you haven't played those and you like escape room, escape room stuff, yeah, yeah. And so whenever I'm playing this game, I thought, oh my goodness, my idea of like teaching, like working a fraud investigation, we could make this a card game. And so those two things just kind of came together, hired somebody to put together an actual card game where you walk through a multimillion dollar, like you get to solve a multimillion dollar embezzlement case that involves finding assets that needed to be recovered. This guy liked to buy really big uh, toys and like, anyway, I don't want to like, spoil the story because it is really fun so that one's called the case of the man cave and it was this it's this tabletop and act too bad i didn't set off the cards i'd show everybody but it's an actual card game yeah and so there's a presentation at the beginning about the investigative process Mm -hmm. and then the obviously there's this cool story but it does follow you know the principles of that presentation and the standard of objectivity and using best evidence sure and and everybody fills out a scorecard as they're going along, you know, collecting all this information and kind of synthesizing it. What's the total loss? And um, so then, of course, we have the solution and we hand out points and it's really fun. Yeah. And uh, of course, a year ago, COVID hit. So all of this had to, I mean, we were like scheduling games to travel to all these different chapters and then sure. all of it just fell apart. Yeah. So um, we've now converted the case of the man to a virtual version right. it is really complicated to yeah, play online i'm sure <laughs> it's really complicated so then we made a second game it's called case of the cash flow fiasco and this one is set up um it, it's just a little more easy it's just easier to navigate i don't know that it's an easier case but it's just easier to navigate because we made it to be virtual yeah. but um, that involves uh, customer theft loan fraud from a bank and that one's really fun and it has motion graphic videos and um, you get to read text messages and look at invoices and uh, it, it works a little more like an escape room, but same premise presentation game solution. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's interesting because I think, you know, we're of a certain age, right. Where all this stuff is like, it reminds us of our youth. Right. Uh, I, I remember, you know, when I was a certain age, it was all choose your own adventure, you know, um, yes. or Dungeons and Dragons and, or, you know, that kind of stuff. And this, this kind of ties in on that. And uh, even when I got older, Magic the Gathering, like in my 20s, I was, mm-hmm. I was all in on Magic the Gathering. And if you play uh, card games, like, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're like, this guy, Matt guy's a nerd. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> he has no friends. How did he ever get married? You know, uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, it, I, I, you know. I, I go back and I, I look at like different events, even conferences I go to. And now like pre-con activities 
are these challenges and board games or or solve this this uh, issue and it's like wildfire we love it mm-hmm. like we're addicted to it because it reminds us of, of our youth and you know we're super competitive with one another and we want bragging rights yes. you know? so it's uh, it's genius i think it's really really cool thank you i think one of the most um rewarding things that's come out of it i mean i love having everybody play the game my family you know they even played the game and they're like oh that's better than we thought it was gonna <laughs> they, be. they don't roll their <laughs> eyes like oh god yeah <laughs> they're like oh man that was that was really fun that's what you do every day that's right. awesome that's um but what's been really great is that we now use it as a new employee onboarding tool. Genius. And yep. so like what I think is so fun. And when I did a big hiring in 2019, I had everyone play, yeah. whether they were on the creative team or the data analyst team, data sleuth team. And so they played. And what was so great is that as we would move into case planning and so forth, after that, somebody would say, Oh, this is like in the game or, Oh, this is why we did this in the game. And so I feel like that learning curve is shortening for new hires for our team because of this reinforcement of you get to work this case. It's awesome. It's in a safe space. There's no, there's things that represent the budget, like the time, that's your budget. That's your deadline, but it's a safe space. So you can fail. Yeah, your and, teammates will just point and laugh at you, and you know, maybe you'll hear about it for a couple right. months. You know, like <laughs> uh, we, we try not to do that. <laughs> not but, too much. <laughs> you know, on the card game, because um, you know when you make something like I was so nervous <laughs> rolling this out, I was so nervous. But um, we have only had two perfect scores to date. Wow, crazy to me. Wow, uh, base of the main cave cash flow fiasco. I think we've had one. So that's great. That's uh, you know somebody can. Uh, uh, be like uh, the, the champion of the world here in the, in, in the gaming environment one day. Yeah, they could. We even have leaderboards on the website. <laughs> That's so, so. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said, I told you, my husband and I were like into all this tabletop gaming before COVID. So, <laughs> so cool. You have to bring it to the forensic accounting world too. Yeah. I, and it, my, my children are starting to hit that age when we're, board games are appropriate for them. And it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having so much fun and just, just revisiting that. And, you know, like they're all in a monopoly now too. Like we're not, we're playing real monopoly, not the, not the kitty version, you know, like, yeah. and it hurts if you don't get the cash <laughs> when you land on that property, you know, it's pay up or hit the bricks. You know, So yeah. I stuff. told my sister the other day, all my sisters have kids. Um, I have three dogs. So yeah. Um, and I was telling my sister the other day, babies are so cute, but I think that this age of like five to 10 years old is so fun because they can play board games. And yeah. so I would keep buying them board games and then we buy the digital versions so we can play online That's against great. each other. So yeah, so, it's so, so cool. much fun. So cool. Okay. So how do folks get a hold of you if they were interested in doing these games? How do they reach yeah. out to you? So the best place to go is just workmanforensics.com. That is the hub for everything. We've got the cast on there on um, the blog which is really informative um and then the investigation game is on there sure um and whether you want to do the digital versions i mean there's just so many options up there but workmanforensics.com and of course um we post a lot, a lot of content weekly just on linkedin and twitter awesome awesome well leah thank you so much for coming on uh, this was great, and uh, I, I learned something new about the, the the board game environment here too, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you guys. We're going to catch you all next week on the next episode, and I hope everybody has a great week. We'll talk to you guys soon. 
Wrapping up, we want to thank Leah for joining us today. Make sure you check the show notes for information on the investigation game. Check out Leah's podcast, too. We'd also like to thank Crosstracks Merlin Locate Services, IDI Corps, PI Institute for Education, and USABugsweeps.com for sponsoring the show. Have you checked out investigatorstoolbox.com yet? Remember, it only takes 49 cents a day to unlock the future of investigations. So make an investment in your business and yourself today. We no longer give the legacy discount, but you can still save some money. Use code PIP201836 to save an extra $20. Now, if you have a question or a comment about the show, just email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. So chime in. We'll be back next Monday with a new show. Make sure you tune in. Please wear a mask and stay safe.